At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. producers and sometimes I turn on the radio and I'll hear like some of my music and it's not during my show like Dan Bongino was using music of mine today I know it's not mine but it was weird because I turned on the radio and I said I'm not on the air am I late you know I was kind of confused but confusion listen if the president of the United States is in a constant state of confusion why should I be worried if I just have like a temporary confused state? What the heck happened in Jordan? I'm sorry. This is very, very anxiety provoking. You have a deadly attack on an American military outpost in Jordan yesterday. How did that drone get there? And how did we not know that it was coming? I mean, all I can figure, and the Wall Street Journal had a, a about the most in-depth reporting on it, although it wasn't very in-depth because the Pentagon is not very forthcoming. But the drone was launched apparently from Iraq by a militia that's directly backed by Tehran. So when it hit Tower 22, which is the name of the military outpost that sits in Jordan, right near the border of Iraq and Syria, it killed three U.S. troops and it wounded something like 34 others because it hit a living quarters. And that's when you have a bunch of men and women sleeping and the drone fires a missile there you're going to have casualties, and they did. And all I can think of, look, it's not like everybody's asleep. Somebody's on watch. And how is it that they confused the drone that was incoming for a friend? First and foremost, when you send a drone out pre-dawn hours, it's probably not a friendly mission. I don't have to be a, you know, a master sergeant to know that. And so the only thing that they're saying is, well, they weren't sure who had launched the drone and we don't want to be in another war. We don't want to escalate, but we will do absolutely what is required to protect ourselves. Well, that's a lie. You didn't do what is required to protect ourselves. And now I think that is another war, whether you want to admit it or not. John Kirby, uh, Lloyd Austin, or anybody else, President Biden, who brought this up yesterday, he talked about the loss of life. You know, what is going on? We're going to have to strike. 
either the militias themselves that are in Iraq and Syria, and we have to strike Iran. And I know they don't want to do that. They want to make nice to Iran. We know that. This is a continuation of the Obama policy. So what are they going to do? Write a strongly worded note? We send an email. I don't think that's going to deter Iranians or their allies from further attacking U.S. forces. Obviously, they have now figured out we can do this. President Biden met with the members of his national security team in the Situation Room this morning. And all I'm thinking is, this morning, this happened yesterday morning. Their first meeting, Austin and and, uh, Avril Hines, the Director of National Intelligence, Jake Sullivan, the NSA, the Chief of Homeland Security, or at least one of the advisors, today? Where were they yesterday? You don't get Sundays off when you're the president and American troops are attacked. It's not how it works. And the only thing I say is, the only thing I could look back at is how various administrations have handled attacks by Iran and and the proxies for Iran. And I go back to like the Reagan administration. They attacked ships, oil platforms that were offshore But he never attacked Iranian territory. They never launched anything into the mainland. But what are they going to do now? They're they're being taunted. And they have, Iran has paramilitary guys called the Quds Force. They're in Syria, they're in Iraq, and they're in Yemen. So if you hit a, a, a ship, an Iranian ship, or you hit the the land itself, the, the country itself, especially when their foreign minister is denying any link to the drone strike. And they, you know, say, oh, these are baseless accusations. Oh, you know, I don't know what you're doing. I know what they're doing. Maybe I should have been in the situation room this morning. They are trying to draw us into another war in the Middle East, another war that we won't fight. We just get drawn in, and then we don't fight. But our troops are in danger. The responsibility for the consequences of even alleging that Iran was around uh, or involved in this attack, there's already going to be ramifications. The Islamic resistance in Iraq, which is a kind of a an umbrella of all the pro-Iranian militias that are there, they claimed responsibility for attacks on three U.S. bases in Syria, including Al-Tanf, which is close to the outpost that was struck. How much? How much are you going to take from them? And they said it was, oh, uh, if anything, it was a retaliation for uh, a strike in the south of Baghdad a few, year, a few days ago when two militia members were killed. Stakes are high. This is an election year. The Biden administration already looks pathetic and weak. And the 
you know, the Iranians, the one they're trying to make friends with, the mullahs, they want to make them look even worse. So now they're launching attacks directly at American troops. I mean, you need to get a map and look at what's going on here. Because this is serious business. This is in the center of, you're literally talking about this triangle where Iraq, Jordan, and Syria meet. This little area. It's kind of like if you've ever been to, I'm trying to think of what's uh, analogous here in America. There's an area where Tennessee and Mississippi and Arkansas meet. It's like a little spot where all three have a border. That's what this is like. And we have, a, we have bases there. We have, I think we have like three or four bases inside of these lands, these Middle Eastern countries. So if we don't do something, the risk is there'll be more attacks on our forces and there'll be more attacks on the commercial shipping lanes. You know, the Houthis will get a green light and a whole bunch of weapons. And eventually, like it or not, there's going to be a conflict directly with Iran. I don't know who wants to be the next president, really, because the mess that's going to be left by the Biden administration, maybe it's better to leave him there. I don't know. Because how do you come back from going, being perceived of as the strongest nation on this planet, a leadership nation, a nation that doesn't colonize, a nation that helps? How do you go from that to a nation that, that, that every you know, rebel force in the Middle East is taking shots at them? It's insane and embarrassing. Not that I care. Maybe they need to be embarrassed. What, what is Congress doing? Why doesn't Congress figure out what their position should be even in the Israeli conflict? When you have American troops in the Middle East that are now being attacked, whether it's by Hezbollah in Lebanon, the Houthis in Yemen, uh, the militias in Iraq and Syria, and then, of course, Hamas, what's your plan? Shouldn't you go to the Congress and say, it's looking like war here, folks. What should we do? Because the network of armed groups across the Middle East right now have stepped up their attacks, not just on Israel, but on us, on our interest. They want this to be a huge price tag for the war in Gaza. They've launched more than 160 attacks against U.S. troops since mid-October. Ballistic missiles on the uh, Al-Assad Air Base that caused some injuries to American and coalition personnel. They're very well-funded, and they're armed by Tehran. There's no question about that. I mean, Joe Biden even said that yesterday. Now, these groups may have agendas of their own. They may not. I'm sure they operate with a degree of autonomy so that Tehran can say, oh, I don't know, I don't know nothing. No, we're not involved. So even if we hit back at the militias 
the militant groups are likely to just keep on doing what they're doing. Their campaign is against U.S. forces in the Middle East. They want us out of the Middle East. Any change in behavior can only happen if we're ready to take on Iran. That's all there is to it. Hezbollah has sent hundreds of missiles and rockets across the border of Israel. They've lost over 100 fighters. The Houthis, you know, they've stopped global shipping for all intents and purposes. They have crossed every red line that should prompt some military retaliation against Tehran. We had a few airstrikes against the Houthis on Yemeni soil. That was one on Saturday. We had one on Saturday. We lost two Navy SEALs at sea trying to, uh, you know, stop the seizing of a vessel. Oh, actually, they were trying to seize a vessel that had a bunch of Iranian missile parts in it that was on its way to the Houthi rebels. I don't know about the rest of you, but this looks like war to me. And if it's war, Congress needs to tell us that and tell us what the plan is and how long it's going to go on. Otherwise, this is a rogue operation. That's the truth. I know that the newspapers aren't going to say that because they'll do anything to prop up Joe Biden. But people like me who are watching, we know what this is. And we don't like it. We need a strong leader right now. And we got a leader who's MIA, waits a day, 24 hours, before he meets with his security person. What is that? Uh, it's beyond my comprehension. I mean, I understand why Tony Blinken wasn't there. He could, they've got him in the Middle East. I don't know what that poor guy is doing, bouncing from country to country, begging that they, you know, just do the right thing. Don't escalate. It's not how you fight a war. Anyway, don't forget to download the app, the 850 WFTL app on your phone, on your laptop, whatever. Then you could do the contests and you could uh, listen to all the podcasts. A new No Restraint podcast did drop today. A lot of Melanie Phillips' uh, in, incredible uh, reporting in it. You should, you should listen. And then if you don't want to do that, just go to the website, 850WFTL.com, and you can download anything, podcasts, shows, whatever you're looking, listen live. That's what we offer you at that website. Let me take a quick break. I'll be right back. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Maybe it's just me, but uh, the words from Donald Trump echo in my mind. And I'm beginning to think that 
this could be the beginning. Well, I, I don't even like to say World War III. I, I hate the, the sound of that, right? I remember when Donald Trump said it and me thinking, let's not, let's not go there because nobody wants to go there. But when you have three soldiers killed over the weekend in a strike on U.S. forces, on a whole base in Jordan, and with the president saying immediately, we will respond. Well, what is he talking about? It's not a strongly worded memo, memo time. There's a lot of anxiety in that part of the world now. It's always got a lot of anxiety, but right now it's very high. This is a dangerous escalation when they're striking our troops while they sleep. And this call to respond, you better, all I can say is I'm sad that the person who's going to make this call is Joe Biden slash Barack Obama. Because I don't believe that Joe Biden can make this call. I don't think he has the, the mental acuity anymore to make this call. And Jill may be a doctor of something, but she doesn't have the acuity. So he's going to lean on his former boss, who many people think is really operating the government anyway. But do you feel good about that? That decisions that are going to be made that could either lead us away from World War III or lead us into World War III are being made by Joe Biden or Barack Obama? Are you still going to tell me that you don't think we need a strong person in leadership at this moment in history? I mean, there's a, a lot of bad scenarios I mean, Vladimir Putin must be sitting there thinking to himself, well, they'll never come here now. They're never going to get really any more involved in this war in Ukraine than they have already. So he's cheering for a wider conflict in the Middle East. It's great for him. All attention will be focused on that. Can you imagine? but it's going to affect everybody. It's going to affect Great Britain. It's going to affect all of Europe. And, and that means that Europe and the Middle East could conceivably descend into World War III. Do you think we're going to sit it out? It, it, do you think that Joe Biden is not going to retaliate for the deadly strike on our troops? Do you think the pressure in an election year on the United States president is to hold back, to be reasonable? Because that doesn't, that doesn't sound possible to me. And we'll see. You know, I've heard a lot of intense speeches over the last couple of days. Everybody's... Uh, you know, it, it, Joe Biden did a nice job of first having a moment of silence when he uh, spoke of the death of these three U.S. soldiers. Then he said he's going to respond. And there's no response other than striking. 
Now, are you going to strike all these rebel groups? You know, we strike the Houthis, we strike this militia in Iraq, and we, we still have to strike ISIS. They're reconstituted, and Al-Qaeda and everybody else. And the Houthis, we got, we got our hands full with all these militia groups that are all being backed by Iran. At some point, a leader is going to have to say, we need to take out the head of the snake. You can't just keep you know, sort of slicing off little pieces. You got to take out they who have the money instead of giving them money. During this administration, we freed billions of dollars to Iran, and now we're reaping the reward. They're striking our, our they're giving weapons and money to terrorist groups everywhere, Iraq, Yemen, Syria, everywhere, Hezbollah in, in Lebanon, just loading them up with money, loading them up with weapons and saying, have it your way. Go ahead. Hurt the West. And that's what they're doing. Meanwhile, uh, nobody's paying any attention to what's going on in, in Israel because that's growing. Now they're more concerned about the North where... The Hezbollah forces in Lebanon are activated. They're not just waiting for their moment. They have decided this is their moment. And so what do we do then? If Israel is now in a offensive in Gaza and an offensive on the border with Lebanon, are we going to just watch? Probably you know, that's a consideration. But we got a lot of military personnel over there. And you, they, we just watched them kill three and injure like over two dozen. That's a big attack, okay? That's not like, oh, you know, it might have been a rogue drone. Whether it was one or more drones, these drones are packed with explosives and then they detonate upon impact. But for them to have killed and wounded so many people, it had to be a mighty big drone filled with a lot of big explosives. How did we not see that? Iran has been cultivating relationships with all of these extremist groups all over the Middle East, Iraq and Syria, because that's how they put pressure on their adversaries including us. We're their adversary. So the big question is, do you strike an Iranian-supported group or what? I just, I listened, I, I don't know if I, I read something that Donald Trump wrote on Sunday. He said, this brazen attack on the United States is yet another horrific and tragic consequence of Joe Biden's weakness and surrender. This attack would never have happened if I was president, not even a chance. Just like the Iranian-backed Hamas attack on Israel would never have happened. The war in Ukraine would never have happened. And we have, we would right now have peace throughout the world. Instead, we're on the brink. Now you can hate them all you want. And you can even be a supporter who says, can he just be quiet and wait until he wins the election? But he's absolutely right. Because all these 
groups were positioned during his administration as well. And he shut them down. He scared them. He kept them at bay. He kept us safe. He kept our troops safe. They are not safe anymore. So we'll see. But it's uh, definitely going to be a turning point right now. And I, I just wish that there was someone in the White House and someone in Congress with the guts to say attacking Tower 22 was a game changer and this is how we're going to handle it. And then go to it. We have incredibly gifted troops. They can, they can fight. And we got to stop worrying. Oh, what's the world going to say? The world hates us. <laughs> we know that. But I want to be kept safe. You can't let this attack go unpunished. That's all there is to it. All right, let me take a quick break. You stay right where you are because I will be right back. Imagine if you're the Speaker of the House, right? And you have a really small majority, which is the position that the Republicans are in. And as small as that majority was, it's even smaller now. You had George Santos thrown out. He, he had an expulsion, so th that seat is empty. Kevin McCarthy, the former speaker, had a hissy fit and he's gone. And now Brian Higgins, another New Yorker, so Santos and Higgins, two, you know, uh, are leaving. Now, I think Brian Higgins is a Democrat. I'm not sure. I'll have to look that up. Not that many Republicans in New York, and I, I don't remember that name. But Bill Johnson is leaving. He's going to be, a I don't know, a, the head of some university, I think. A, a Youngstown State University. So... The Republicans now have 219 seats and the Democrats have 213. That is not a strong position for Mike Johnson. And they have to fight because the Senate Republicans are pathetic. I have not seen the content or all of the content of the border bill, which is what I'm calling it. But I know someone who has, and from what he's telling me, this is the worst thing that we could possibly consider. I mean, they caved, and we're talking amnesty on steroids. I don't know about the rest of you, but I'm looking at that border, and that sounds scary to me. You know, here we are on the brink of a war, we got guys rattling the nuclear sword, literally. I mean, our president, Joe Biden, rattled, rattled the nuclear sword. And I don't know what he thought. He, he said, I forgot what he said. You know, he said when he was talking about this kamikaze drone that hit the U.S. troops, he immediately said, we'll respond. It'll be a clear message. And let's remember that Iran 
is building 12 nuclear weapons. They will soon have the capability to strike us with a nuclear weapon. He said, I'm listening to all these experts. You certainly don't want to attack Iran now by any means, but you do need to retaliate. So what does that mean? You retaliate against the group, but you send a message to Iran. Control your proxies. Okay. Anybody think Joe Biden's capable of doing that? Or, or, or for that matter, Lloyd Austin or, or uh, any of these clowns? Jake Sullivan? Anthony Blinken? How do they not know how dangerous our enemies are? These are very effective weapons that they're using. They're not fast. So in order for a drone to have carried the amount of explosives that it would have needed to have to wreak the havoc that it did, it, was, it probably was slow and made a lot of noise. Had to have a good guidance system because it right on the sleeping quarters. But usually those kinds of drones, because they're slow moving, get shot down. We see that in the Ukraine all the time. Both Russian and Ukrainian drones get shot down by the opposite person. And, the, and what they do is they launch a few of them at a time because they're just hoping one makes it to the target. So we didn't see it. We know that Iran is a hair's breadth from 90%, which is the level that you need to create a nuclear bomb of, of in uranium enrichment. It's a sad reality. But the scientists in Iran, they already know how to build this doomsday nuclear weapon. And they could have enough of the radioactive material within 30 days. That's what all the experts are saying. Enough to make six nuclear weapons. And after five more months, they could double that. And this was in a report published on the Institute for Science and International Security. And that's pretty amazing. The expert there, this Albright, the scientist said, today it would need only about a week to produce enough for its first nuclear weapon. It could have enough weapon-grade uranium for six weapons in one month, and after five months of producing weapon-grade uranium, it could have enough for 12. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to ruin your, your day that way. But that's, a, that's the reality. And that's why when people say to me, well, I'll never vote for Donald Trump, I try to explain to them, then you better, you better prepare yourself because this is going to get very, very dark and ugly. And my generation hasn't lived through that kind of dark and ugly. We did send troops to Korea. We sent troops to Vietnam. It was awful. We definitely suffered through all the Gulf Wars. But we're talking about 
nuclear war. And the people leading all of the nations who have nuclear capabilities, in my opinion, are either tyrannical maniacs or idiots. And President Biden and Kim Jong-un fall into the idiot category. Armed idiots. So it's time. It's time. We're not paying any attention right now to the fact that UNRWA, and I talk about it at great length on my No Restraint podcast because it needs to be talked about. We now know there were 12 UN workers who were involved in the Hamas raid, the massacre. One is accused of kidnapping a woman. Another was handing out ammunition. A third took part in the massacre at the kibbutz where 97 people died. They were all employees of the United Nations Aid Agency, you know, the agency that teaches and shelters and feeds hundreds of thousands of Palestinians in the Gaza Strip. And this, these claims are being taken very seriously. For UNRWA even to investigate means there must have, that Israel must have provided them with some pretty intense documentation. The UN said that it fired several of these people after being briefed on the allegations, but we still don't know what's in that dossier. It was reviewed on Sunday by the New York Times. Again, it's always the New York Times, so I don't know how much I can believe. But uh, apparently they, they, tr they helped trigger that war, and now we have wars on other fronts. The Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, said he's horrified by these accusations. And he noted that nine of the 12 accused employees had been fired. But he implored those nations that had suspended their aid payments to reconsider. Are you serious? Don't give them another penny. And Joe Biden wants to win an election or whoever ends up as the Democrat candidate. They want to win this election. You cannot give money to UNRWA now. <laughs> That's out. They actually have evidence. You know, be careful what you put out there on your Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and all those things. I don't put any personal stuff on there. I'm just over it. Because they went on these social media profiles of all of these accused UNRWA employees, right? And the they're wearing, they, they pose in UN-issued uniforms. So there's no question that they work for him. And then they make phone calls inside Gaza during the action, talking about the, what they were, you know, the attack, talking about the attack that they were now involved in. These guys were storing grenades in their houses. Ten of the employees are members of Hamas. So UNRWA had as its employees members of a terrorist militia group. Help me here. Why would we have ever funded UNRWA? Seven of the accused were also said to be teachers 
instructing students in what? I doubt it was math and Arabic literature. No, I'll bet it was in hating Jews. Uh, That piece of property in New York City that houses the United Nations would make a beautiful tower of condos. And this is my vow. When we close down the United Nations, oh, Donald Trump, please get elected, I will get an apartment there. Not that I want to live there, but I'm sure it'll be valuable. And just to, <clears throat> just to prove that it would be better used as a residences than as a whatever it thinks it is. Don't forget, coming up after me, Eric Erickson, followed by Joe Pags and Lars Larson, Overnight Guys, and then Jen and Bill will be back at 6 o'clock in the morning with the South Florida Morning Show, followed by the one and only Brian Kilmeade, followed by Dan Bongino, and of course, then I'll be back at 3. But I have one segment left today, so don't touch that dial. I'll be right back. All right, and I never talk about sports, or hardly ever. You know, I, I don't like football, never did, wouldn't let my son play it. But my poor husband, he gave up football for a long time because of the kneeling and all that other stuff that upset him. But he had started watching again this year, or maybe a year ago, watching some of the NFL. And as long as they didn't do anything stupid like Neil, he would watch the game. But you have to understand, he's a Detroit Lions fan and has been for decades. People who were waiting their entire lives for the Lions to get into the championship games were devastated last night. All I can tell you is my husband, he did watch Kansas City and the Ravens, but you know, he just watched it. It was kind of like a warm-up game for him. But by the time 6.30 rolled around, he was camped out in the living room on a couch with little TV trays everywhere. He had his wings and his uh, fries and his chips and his drinks. I mean, he didn't have to move, right? This was the moment that he and millions of other people from Detroit, Michigan, were waiting for. And I had to go out. And I'm not a big fan anyway. So by the time I left the house, they were already winning. And then when I got to my destination bunch of guys were there and said oh you know they're winning it's a big it's a blowout you know the lions are going to the super bowl and everybody was rah 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 and then i'm on my way home at eight o'clock i was not out late i'm on my way home at eight o'clock and i turn on whatever network was carrying it on sirius and they're like losing and it's the third or i think it was the fourth quarter and they're down by a lot and I'll tell you, if you're a wife or a husband who has a, you know, your spouse is a big fan and has waited as long as my husband has waited for this moment, I did not want to go home. I was like driving around my complex, hoping against hope that they could come back. Listening to it on the radio, okay, instead of watching it on TV but it didn't happen. They were, you know, and then I said, well, I really, uh, a good wife will go up and, you know, love on the 
on their husband. See, we don't drink. Like if I, if we were drinkers, I could have like mixed him a cocktail and put him to bed, but I, we don't drink. So I had to just put him to bed. He was a very sad man. He seems much better today. He says he, next year's their year. And all I keep thinking is it's nobody's year as long as Mahomes is working and apparently uh, Taylor Swift's boyfriend there catches every every football that Patrick Mahomes throws to him. So you can hate him or love the Chiefs. I don't think they're going anywhere for a while. I'm sure, though, that people got to be annoyed by all that Taylor Swift nonsense. But she wins. So if I was Travis, I'd stick real close to your girlfriend. Anyway, so that was my, my sports story for the weekend. I am, you know, it's really hard getting back into watching sports when I was protesting them for so long because of the kneeling and nonsense and BLM and all that crap. Um, but some of that has kind of gone away for the most part. And so I have been watching a lot of the NBA. And it's so weird because all my life I could tell you every player on every team, especially on certain teams, and I was watching the Knicks and the Heat this weekend, and I'm telling you, I, I knew like three players on each team and didn't really know them that well. So it's like watching, it's like I landed from Mars. It was very strange. But I'm sure it's a, a common occurrence. I'm sure lots of you who gave up watching sports over all the political nonsense that was going on have returned a little bit. You know, it's not like it used to be. But then again, I'm not like I used to be. So... Everything changes. One thing you got to do is adapt. If you don't adapt, you'll be miserable. I learned that a long time ago. It's much more important than even being smart or well-read or anything else is you got to be adaptable. You got to be able to roll with the punches. Life is going to change. And these days it's changing really fast. All I can do though is say pray for leadership because we're on the precipice of some very, very dark world times. And I'm not super confident that we have the right, well, I'm super confident that we don't have the right administration for this moment. And also fearful that the uh, media has poisoned the well so much against Donald Trump. $83 million, you're right. So I thank you for your time this time. Until next time, my plan is to be back here tomorrow at three o'clock. That's if it be his will and he delays his coming. Remember that what lies behind us and what lies ahead of us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. So wherever you are, just be yourself. Everybody else is taken. And then as always, may God bless you. May God bless Israel. And may God bless the families of those troops we lost. And God bless the USA. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.